We're proud to announce our brand new ACLJ Life and Liberty Drive. Our legal teams will be focusing on the issues that you, our ACLJ members, have told us matter the most to you, life and religious liberty. Join the ACLJ in the fight to keep America free. Welcome to The Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, with Russia's war on Ukraine in the news, we'll look at the news you're not hearing. Here's an apartment complex littered with shrapnel. Here we are right in front of that, sharing the gospel, playing with the children, and it was like nothing had happened. We'll hear from Greg Laurie on the devastation from the fire that destroyed the city of Lahaina on Maui. People were running just to escape this rapidly moving fire. Plus, a win in the courts for those who argued that black unborn lives matter. The government's not allowed to pick and choose which sides of the public debate to weigh in on. And why it matters so much. Government officials are consistently picking the side that they agree with and then censoring the other side from speaking at all. I'm Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you today. I'm the host of the Pastor Scott Show, heard Monday through Friday throughout the L.A. and San Diego areas of Southern California. I'm coming to you from my home station of KKLA in Los Angeles. You can catch my program each day through our live stream at KKLA.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Take a moment to follow the Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin in Ukraine. Russia's war on Ukraine has been in the news this week as the plane carrying Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner Group, crashed north of Moscow. We're going to look at some of what is going on in the region that you have more than likely not heard much about. That is the Christian ministry happening on the ground in Ukraine. Chris Stout is a leader with the Word of Life ministry. He was a guest of Bill Bunkley on Faith Talk WTBN in Tampa. Now, a lot of people would say, wait a minute, he went to the Ukraine and he went to Lebanon. You know, a lot of people just don't do that. Tell us how that all worked out. Yeah, that was a a bit of a crazy trip uh, for me, even as he travels uh, a lot, Uh, basically flew into Warsaw. And uh, after flying into Warsaw, uh, got over to the train station in uh, downtown Warsaw in Poland and then took another train 18 hours to Kiev. Um, mm. Then to jump in a grab a quick shower, jump in a car and a, a van with our leaders there in Ukraine. And then we drove another five hours uh, up to Kharkiv to see uh, what was going on there with our youth camps. So it was a, it was a great trip. Well, let's focus on Ukraine first, because yep. um, even in the last few days while you were there, uh, unfortunately, the conflict in the Ukraine is not military against military. I mean, it is using rockets, using drones, and the Russians are basically targeting civilian facilities. But what happened while you're there? Did you happen to to hear any cruise missiles go over or drones or anything? What was your experience? Uh, No, but we were working in two different areas, working with children and teenagers. And, you know, it was a bit surreal for me uh, as I'm we're right in the middle of an apartment complex and I have videos I look and we're doing a tug of war in the middle of the park right there. And I turn around and here's a uh, an apartment complex with, you know, littered with shrapnel uh, that uh, here we are right in front of that complex uh, sharing the gospel, playing with the children. And it was like nothing had happened. It was pretty amazing. So now how are these kids like God forbid, praise the Lord didn't happen. 
But let's say you're in the middle of a Bible study in this park, in this square. What was the game plan if you heard or got a warning? What were you going to do? What were you, what, what was the deal? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, they've kind of incorporated as part of their daily life. I mean, that's what's amazing about the Ukrainian people is the spirit. Uh, they're out walking around, and, and yeah, the, the we heard the sirens go off several times. And First uh, one's unnerving, right? Yeah, first one's a little unnerving, and I even heard them in the middle of the night. And it just means that there's something in the air somewhere. But really, right now, the intelligence was we were fine where we were. You know, we're, we're not in the east uh, where most of the conflict is happening. But I've just found that, you know, the people, they've really kind of incorporated as part of their daily life. They've just decided to move on. And yet it's always in the back of their minds, right? That that unnerving, hey, we might need to head to a shelter. We might need to head to our basement. But fortunately, where we were at this time, you know, we weren't right on the front lines, but we were in a place that had been previously occupied that was now taken back over by Ukraine. So we felt pretty safe. But um, these kids that lived through it, though, it was impressive. When I think about pre-war Ukraine, I know for so many years there were so many orphan children. Mm. Tell us about the kids who are seeing unspeakable things and any idea of what's happening with some of these kids that were all alone in the orphanages? Oh, goodness. Well, we actually helped one orphanage um, move their entire group over to our site in Poland. Uh, We got them on buses. We took them and then took care of them for in the opening days of the war. Um, You know, so a lot of these orphanages through Christian, through nonprofits like ourselves and others were able to evacuate these children. And then they found themselves in other homes, foster type homes. I think a lot went to Poland. uh, So we Word of Life, we have a a ministry center outside of Warsaw. Mm -hmm. And so we basically in the in those first weeks of the war, just our team alone transported about 3000 people out of war areas to get them to either Western Ukraine, get them into Poland, get them into Hungary, Romania, Czech Republic. And uh, we housed a lot of them right there at, at our places, including some of these orphans. Yeah. Wow. Let's get back to Ukraine and let's get back to where you were. And one of the reasons why you were there is now kind of like living in Israel, looking at building a bomb shelter so that when your missionaries are doing their missionary work, sirens go off. Maybe in a year or so, you'll have somewhere to run to. Tell us about that, because that's still, this is just new pages of ministry for Word of Life. Yeah, we, we've never built a bomb shelter before. You know, we build youth camps. We have youth camps all around the world. And it's really not as much for our missionaries, but the government of Ukraine now is requiring that if you're going to have kids under 18 years old on your property, then you have to have a bomb shelter for them to go into. Everyone else is kind of optional. And so since we're a youth ministry, we're, we have probably one of the largest uh, youth camps in the country. Uh, we are now, um, you know, raising the money, making a, about to build a bomb shelter, trying to get it done, the concrete done before the winter sets in. And then we're going to kind of utilize that and actually build a multi-purpose kind of gymnasium type thing on top of it as well, because we don't have any place really to do anything in inclement weather. Um, so it's going to be both a bomb shelter and a gymnasium at the same time, if you can imagine. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a new reality that we're living in there. It's pretty wild. The devastation and horrors of what happened in the city of Lahaina on the island of Maui will continue to unfold in the days and weeks to come. Greg Laurie is a voice of A New Beginning, a radio program heard by many of you every weekday. Harvest, the church that he leads, has a sister church on Maui. 
That church mercifully was preserved in the recent fire. He was a guest on my program. Downtown Lahaina, most people that go to Maui uh, end up in Lahaina. It's this old, beautiful, charming little town. Goes back to the times when they did whaling there, whaling village, and they have like a little home that was the home of the first missionary and all these little surf stores and fun little places to eat. And a fire hit it, and literally it's all gone. The entire town burned down, and this fire spread so rapidly. And I would add that these are really old wooden structures, some going back to the early 1900s, uh, others built in the 70s, but they're a bunch of wood structures, and it was like a tinderbox. And that fire spread so rapidly, people were running like they were going into the ocean just to escape this rapidly moving fire. But right now, uh, we expect to start our efforts to help these people rebuild their community. You know, in looking at the before and after pictures, I've just yeah. been blown away at how fast this happened. And it's just devastating. And, you know, I think people, you're on an island, you're you're so separate anyway. You trucks can't just drive there with relief. Nope. This is going to be complicated. Yeah, it is. And it, it, it was it's shocking how quickly it happened. And it just uh, was so devastating in its effect that people were sent to burn wards and mm. And, you know, this little island isn't really equipped for this kind of thing. And so it's a pretty overwhelming thing for all of them. So, you know, the Bible says God can bring beauty out of ashes. So that city is in ash. It's Mm. a burned heap of rubble. And we're praying that that we can shine the light of Jesus, bring the hope of the gospel, uh, the message of Jesus Christ to people maybe who have never heard it before, and do all that we can to continue to represent Jesus in this island paradise. You know, the thing is, people, you know, often go to Hawaii searching. Oh, I'm searching for God. I'm searching for truth. I'm searching for myself, trying to find myself. And and they're in the beauty of the island. So, you know, they think they'll find it. Well, what they really are searching for is God. And so we're there to give them the gospel. And I think we'll be able to probably reach more people in the days ahead than when we've ever been able to reach before. So, You know, we want to take advantage of the opportunity, but we also want to show God's love to people in a tangible way. We'll be there with food and with shelter and with water and practical things as well. But we'll do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And a big part of that is the presence with people. Sometimes that's what they need is people around. That's right. So if people are interested in helping with our relief efforts, we have a website, just harvest.org. We have a page up. And we have a fund that's set up, and it's called the Maui Harvest Relief Fund. And so they can give if they feel so inclined by the Lord, and we'll put that uh, money to good use, helping people in the name of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a great need, so I encourage people to go to harvest.org, and uh, if you want to give, this is a great way to do it if you want to support. And there's going to be a long-time need, long after this leaves the news. You know, that's something that happens with these things, Greg, is it's on the news for a couple of days, and then we're on yeah. to something else, but the need remains. Yeah, you know, I think people, when they think Hawaii, it's like, oh, it must be hard living in Hawaii. Hawaii is just a place like any other place. It's a yep. beautiful place, granted. And there are wealthy people that live on Hawaii. But there's a lot of people that work two or three jobs and are just living, uh, you know, day to day. And I know of the, many of those people who lost their little homes there. Yeah, so they lost everything. It's not... 
it's not like we want to, you know, rebuild oceanfront estates. That's not right. what we're about over there. We're talking about just ministering to people that live there, local people, helping people in the name of Jesus who, and right now, some of them don't have a roof over their heads. That's right. And you're right. There, There's a lot of wealth, but there's a lot of poverty in Hawaii. Yeah. I think people yes. don't always realize that. And uh, yeah. it's expensive to live there. It's super expensive it is. Uh, yes, to live there. Is. Well, I'm glad that you're there. Uh, Greg, in all the chaos and the insanity of our time, it also might be a time where we're going to see a great revival. We pray so. I, I feel like America has two options, judgment or revival. Yeah, yeah. We know judgment will ultimately come to America and to every nation and to every person, unless you put your faith in Christ. So I, I think we're at a, a really important point right now in our nation. Like, what do we, what do we want? Do we want to face God's judgment? Or do, you want to, do we want a spiritual awakening? So I pray we have one. You know, Nineveh was one of the most wicked cities of all time. But God sent a spiritual awakening and turned the nation around. And I think we desperately need that in America right now because we're going the wrong way fast right now. Coming up, a win in the courts for First Amendment free expression. What they want to do is be able to speak about the importance of unborn human life and try to save as many babies as possible. In the next segment of The Christian Outlook. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Attention, your withdrawal has been denied by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, I've become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Attention, your withdrawal has been denied by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, I've become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000.
Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow, host of the Pastor Scott Show. The D.C. District Court has, on August the 15th, released a decision strengthening and upholding First Amendment free expression. For context, I'm going to take you back just a bit to the summer of 2020. I'll let Georgine Rice pick up for more details on the context in her conversation with John Bursch of Alliance Defending Freedom from their conversation on KPDQ in Portland. Well, during the summer of 2020, the nation's capital city didn't just allow Black Lives Matter protesters to spray paint public property with their message. D.C. Mayor Bowser, she actively joined the protests. She directed staff to paint words, Black Lives Matter on the street across from the White House, rebranding a section of as, rather, Black Lives Matter Plaza. The District of Columbia took sides in an active political debate. They joined ranks with a message that rioters proclaimed as they broke glass, they looted stores, they started fires, and they put other citizens' lives in danger. At least 26 people died in the mayhem. Well, meanwhile, a group of pro-life protesters decided to spread their own related message. They aimed to write black pre-born lives matter on the sidewalk. And they asked the D.C. government for a permit to paint or chalk the message on the street or sidewalk. Well, after obtaining verbal consent from a police officer ahead of time, they um, they referring to the Frederick Douglass Foundation and Students for Life of America. They asked police officers at a rally if they could chalk their message on the sidewalk. They refused When they proceeded to tag the sidewalk anyway, police arrested them. Well, did I give a fair characterization of what happened uh, back in 2020 and kind of the crux of the challenge that's currently uh, being lodged against this practice? That that was an excellent description. I think you really nailed it. It's just almost hard to describe without seeing the pictures how much the District of Columbia was painted on, um, you know, scrawled all over Mm -hmm. with respect to the Black Lives Matter protests. And then, then you just had this tiny little group putting chalk on the sidewalk, something that would have washed away in the next rain. And, and they were met by six police cars and all these police, uh, the same officers who had been standing around watching or encouraging the other graffiti to take place. And, and the only reason, as far as anyone can tell, is because the mayor is pro-choice. So they weren't wielding weapons. They weren't destroying public property. No one was killed or injured. They were chalking a message that was, in part, what was already being endorsed by the mayor. You just put unborn in there, and it just it was more than the district could tolerate. They wouldn't take that. And as we all know intuitively, the First Amendment's free speech clause prohibits that kind of viewpoint discrimination. The government's not allowed to pick and choose which sides of a public debate to weigh in on and then silence the other side. And that's exactly what happened here. But when we filed the lawsuit on behalf of the Frederick Douglass Foundation and Students for Life of America, the defense was that the Black Lives Matter protests had happened spontaneously, and the Students for Life and Frederick Douglass Foundation folks had asked for permission, and therefore the situations weren't comparable. Uh, And so it didn't matter (laughs) that the city had taken different viewpoints. Uh, Asking for permission made all the difference. And the federal district court judge who heard that argument, agreed with it, and threw the case out, unbelievably. Wow. Uh, But we went up to the the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is one of our federal courts of appeals, and it it has jurisdiction, obviously, over the federal district court for the district, and a panel that was mixed appointees from Republican and Democrat presidents agreed unanimously that the trial court had gotten it wrong, uh, that this was viewpoint discrimination, and they reinstated the case. 
it, it's really as breathtaking. I will grant them that there was a significant difference in the case. On the one hand, there was a respectful approach to government authorities requesting permission to take a small section of the city and, and pin a message that was consistent with or wasn't inconsistent with the Black Lives Matter sentiment. And those who spontaneously decided to disrupt civil society, they were not only allowed to do so, but the mayor embraced it and actively joined in the protest as well. Uh, it really is uh, is breathtaking. Yeah, it is. And yet we're seeing this type of viewpoint discrimination taking place all across the country, especially on college campuses. That's where the bulk of our cases are, where administrators will allow a liberal speaker to come in and speak on any topic they want without restriction. But if a conservative student group wants someone to come in and talk about uh, religion or capitalism or, or things like that, then they're told that that's going to be controversial, and so they have to pay hundreds of dollars in security fees for costs that they can't afford, or that speaker will be shunted off to a portion of campus where very few people can attend, or there'll be massive protests and security won't act to allow the speaker to present their message at all. Um, you see the same thing with speech zones and prior permissions. It's really a terrible deterioration in what used to be the public marketplace of ideas in the United States, where everybody was allowed to talk about an issue from their perspective. People could listen to it and decide for themselves what was true. Now government officials and university officials are consistently picking the side that they agree with and then censoring the other side from speaking at all. Well, the lower court's decision has been reversed And the judge has affirmed that the district did discriminate on the basis of viewpoint in the selective enforcement of its defacement ordinance. What happens next? Our hope is that we'll just be able to settle the case, get them to agree that they won't do this again in the future, and everybody can move on their way. I mean, Frederick Douglass Foundation and Students for Life of America are not in the business of litigating cases in court. What they want to do is be able to speak about the importance of unborn human life and try to save as many babies as possible particularly in the case of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, to make that message heard loud and clear within the black community where a enormously disproportionate number of abortions take place, going all the way back to Margaret Sanger and her eugenics movement, which is the reason we have a disproportionate number of Planned Parenthood clinics in black neighborhoods. So that's the hope. And we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Yeah. I I wonder, too, if the fact that the D.C. mayor, Bowser, a Democrat, Um, directed government employees to spray paint words on the street, 35-foot-long capital letters on a street. If that was addressed at all, is it appropriate for the district official to engage public servants in that kind of activity while at the same time forbidding others with a different message, although not necessarily conflicting message, to have an opportunity to speak? Yeah, and and the problem really was that she didn't allow the complimentary view because governments speak all the time, and and they can take views. Government officials can do that. Maybe it's a little questionable when you direct employees to support particular political or personal views that you might carry. But whenever that happens, the government needs to make that form available to everybody. So if they're going to have an ordinance that says you can't put graffiti on city streets or city buildings, then it needs to be enforced against everybody. Or if you allow one message to come in, then you have to let other messages come in too. It's no different when the, the government has a public park. And they say that it's open for people to have rallies and concerts and things like that. And everything is going along fine. And then the pro-life group comes in to talk about their message of the importance of the dignity and preciousness of human life. And then they get excluded. Um, It's just that this one happened to take place on streets and sidewalks. Well, it really is um, breathtaking. And I'm once again grateful for the courage 
for these organizations and uh, your organization's Alliance Defending Freedom to have the courage to confront this kind of injustice and hold these officials to account. And perhaps the next group, the next opportunity uh, will have a different outcome. I certainly hope so. Uh, What's great about this decision is it's one that will probably carry a lot of impact in other places, too. And so it's definitely a a win there in Washington, D.C. But other courts are are likely to respect this to make sure that not only pro-life views, but all views are respected uh, by government and that they're not picking and choosing one side or the other. And it's important for people to remember that no matter how they feel about life issues, no matter how they feel about religious issues, no matter how they feel about any political issue, this could happen to them, too. And so when the courts act to protect free speech and to prohibit government discrimination, it's beneficial to everybody. The whole society wins when we have rulings like this. Absolutely. Coming up, a fresh look at the Beatitudes. What would it look like for us, particularly in this cultural moment, to purposefully embody these virtues? When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. You can learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Scott Furrow. Attention, your withdrawal has been denied by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, I've become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Attention, your withdrawal has been denied by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, I've become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that begins Christ's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and thus begins the Beatitudes. 
where Christ preaches a sort of upside-down kingdom. That's the title of Chris Castaldo's book. The pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois, was a guest of Aubrey Sampson and Brian Fromm, hosts of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life in Chicago. Chris, for the Christian who is um, thinking about the Beatitudes, maybe for the first time, you've obviously titled this book, The Upside Down Kingdom. Unpack that in relation to the Beatitudes for us. Yeah, there's there's a counterintuitive turn in in the Beatitudes. We expect our Christian life so often to be one movement of improvement, better mm. every day in every way. That's how I thought as a new Christian. You know, I had the Bible, the Holy Spirit lived within me. I have the church around me, and so life should be pretty good. But then it's not very long before we find ourselves in some crisis, in some crucible, and we say, where are you, Lord? And the, the Beatitudes provides an answer to that question. It's in those places of, of suffering when we're be over our skis and bereft of resources that we find the presence of Jesus in the most intimate way. Yeah. And so I think the, one of the gifts that the Beatitudes gives us is it allows us to be honest about life's suffering and see it not as an example of, un, of infidelity. I mean, we sin, of course, and we mm. need to own that. But very often it's our, our humanity. It's our brokenness that brings us into that place. Mm. And that's where the Lord manifests his presence to Mm. us. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk specifics. There might be some people listening who are not very familiar with the Beatitudes. So what is some of the upside down? Maybe there are chapters that you do. Maybe uh, what are some of the upside down things in this culture that we see in the Beatitudes? Yeah. I mean, if we look around us now, we live in a cancel culture. People are outraged. Mm-hmm. Any form of media imposes that, that spirit upon you. How do we respond to that as Christians? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, blessed are the meek. And so rather than pulling the pin out of the rhetorical hand grenade and lobbing it over the fence, what would it look like for us, particularly in this cultural moment, particularly as we approach another election year, yeah. Yeah. to to purposefully embody the virtues of gentleness. Now, to be clear, there, there's some things that should cause us to be angry. Mm-hmm. These, these scammers who prey upon elderly people, yeah. you know, those who, who hurt children, we should be outraged. The problem, though, is when that becomes the normal mode of operation mm-hmm. and we're bitter, you see, and, and there's everything now about media that is forcing us into that mold. That's right. Beatitudes yeah. is the corrective to that. Mm. Oh, beautiful. And Chris, who did you write this book for? Is this primarily for people who are teaching the word of God? Is this for small group leaders? Is this for everybody? Uh, Tell us about your audience. As I was writing it, I was thinking of particular people in our church. I'm thinking Mm. of Dave, you know, who just lost his wife, Barb, Mm. and he's in grief. What does it mean to mourn? There's some intractable situations of suffering when uh, a loved one dies or we, we receive a terminal diagnosis and we say, where are you, Lord? It's in those moments that we need the, the promise of God, that his comfort, that he's with us. And so, you know, I'm thinking of the people I serve, the anxiety and depression, and even in some cases, suicide ideation mm. that people wrestle with. Uh, I, I, somewhere I quote Michel de Montaigne, the French philosopher, who said, my life has been full of terrible misfortune, mm. most of which has never happened. You know, it's this idea <laughs> oh, wow. of constant fear of catastrophe. That's where we live. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I had regular people in mind as, as I thought about the way in which the Beatitudes provides comfort and hope to those situations. 
Chris, thinking of the Beatitudes in the church, obviously we'll never do it perfectly, but let's say the church as a whole does better. Like we improve at living out the Beatitudes mm. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help people paint a picture for what the result would be. What would like the church's reputation be? Uh, what would the result in our culture be for the church if we got better at kind of embracing the Beatitudes? It would be a, a rich community, for one thing. Uh, it's it's no secret that Bonhoeffer used the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, when he established his Confessing Church Seminary in mm. Finkelwalde. And and he was criticized for that. Karl yeah. Barth and others said, look, you're, you're getting too monastic. This is like Catholic. And Bonhoeffer said, in this moment of history, when we're barraged by Nazism, it's coming at us through every vehicle of communication. We need to go as deep as we can. And he looked to the Beatitudes to get him there. Mm. And that's, it's, it's that uh, vision that gave rise to life together. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? We bear one another's burdens. We're honest with one another. We're, we're, we're vulnerable with one another. If we can live that way, if we can showcase that kind of shared life, it will radiate hope into the world mm. around us. And so I, it seems to me that's the, that's the first opportunity yeah. that we need to take seriously. Coming up. Hope is the confidence that grace will prevail because of the gracious character of God. When the Christian Outlook continues in just a moment, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We believe. Attention, your withdrawal has been denied by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, I've become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Attention, your withdrawal has been denied by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, I've become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. 
Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. In God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. Christ's words in the Beatitudes that we just looked at are always good and always challenging. It's a portion of Scripture that many of you, I'm sure, refer to often. The book of Lamentations, I think I'm safe to say, is less commonly found within your devotional readings. Our guest sees a strong message of grace here in the Old Testament. C.J. Williams is the author of The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Lamentations. He was a guest of John Hall and Kathy Emmons on Word 101.5 FM in Pittsburgh. Can you talk, C.J., first about what kind of literature Lamentations is? Well, Lamentations is prophetic literature. But it's also a, uh, it's a very unique book. It is uh, a lament and uh, that stands in a category all its own. And I believe its purpose ultimately is to give us an example of grieving with faith and to basically instruct us how to, how to find hope in the midst of our trials. This is very timely, is it not? Um, CJ, is this something that you picked up in the threat of the pandemic and thought, I need to inform and engage about Lamentations? Uh, it feels as though the world's uh, hell in a handbasket. <laughs> well, yes, indeed. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a useful uh, study because we're told in Scripture that we do not serve as those who have no hope. And so Scripture must give us some direction on how to grieve with hope and how to find hope within our trials. And I think Lamentations is a really big part of that. It really gives us some solid direction in that. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the world around us, we know grieving people. Um, We grieve ourselves in many different situations of life. And uh, this is just an impactful book. It really is very encouraging to those especially who are dealing with grief in their life. Now, I'm glad you brought this up because not to get too personal, but I, I do know that as you're researching and writing the book, you yourself suffered a double loss. Absolutely, that's true. So <clears throat> I preached through the Book of Lamentations uh, some time ago and uh, was really drawn into the book and uh, just fascinated by it. During that sermon series, uh, my father passed away, and I began work on the book shortly thereafter my mother passed away. Mm. And um, actually, I lost another one close to me the very week that the book came out. Uh, my brother passed away. Oh, my wow, gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And that, uh, that happened all within under two years. And um, so the Lord really brought me and my family through a hard season of life. And uh, just in his providence, uh, I was immersed in the book of Lamentations. I found great comfort in it. I really did. Mm. What does it mean that you found great comfort in it? I'm thinking of people who are listening to the program. Maybe they're, they haven't never read the Bible or they haven't gone to church, and they're thinking, well, what, what comfort does reading an old, a super old book uh, about grief do for you? Yeah, it is, it is a difficult book. And, um, but, you know, one of the lessons it teaches us is about finding hope in the midst of our trials. And showing us really what it is and where to find it. You know, hope isn't just optimism that things will get better, but hope is the confidence that grace will prevail because of the gracious character of God. And I think that thread, that theme is woven throughout the book, but it it reaches its pinnacle, of course, in Lamentations 3, the very famous verse, uh, His compassions fail not, they're new every morning, great is your faithfulness. 
therefore I hope in him. Right? Mm-hmm. The faithfulness of God means he's true to his promises, and that's the foundation of our hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one of the great themes of this book, and to, to recognize that hope, it's not merely a change of outlook, but it's a transformation of our hearts as we learn to really find rest in God's faithful character and his sure promises. Yes. And that would define our Christian walk, would it not? I mean, without without hope, that well, then we fall off the ends. But we do need hope to sustain us to see the other day, the next day. And, of course, eternal salvation in Christ is our great hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the amazing thing about the Book of Lamentations, which the Scripture reinforces elsewhere, is that when we do experience grief or loss, those are particular seasons in which God does reveal his grace to us and his goodness to us in new and unexpected ways and does give us hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but CJ, so what you just told us about the loss of your parents and your brother, deeply intimate as you're going through the book of Lamentations and, and writing The Shadow of Christ, uh, it had mm-hmm. to give you strength to know that so many others have gone before you, and there on the page is the strength that was necessary for these deep periods of mourning, which I'm sure you're still going through. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> that we're reassured that we're not alone in the experience mm-hmm. of grief and hardship in this world. and. Sometimes we isolate ourselves and we, we feel like we are alone. Yeah. But to recognize that, that uh, believers go through this, all people go through this, and, um, and, and the Lord ministers to our hearts in these situations in very particular ways, and uh, we have one another to reach out to, you know, to find that support that we have in, in others of like-minded uh, of faith and like precious faith. Uh, we have each other. And, um, and I think this book brings that out as well. Uh, that uh, we do not feel alone, but we have great resources in God's grace and in God's people. Mm. CJ, you mentioned that it's a difficult book. Um, There are some books in the scriptures that are more straightforward than this. What's the value in kind of making your way through a hard book? I think a lot of people now, you know, if you didn't, you know, have a liberal arts education, you know, I... Uh, had a, a literature focus when I was in college, so I kind of I had to make my way through hard books. But a lot of people now don't have to do that. Um, so, mm. what's the value in it? And do you think it's worth it for the average person? It is a difficult book, and uh, you know, it's a book about grief and suffering. And um, it's an Old Testament book written in you know some in some ways it's difficult to understand. It's not the book that people instinctively turn to. You mentioned earlier, you know, we want to read happy passages. We want to turn to Philippians, and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this book is a real gem, and it is, uh, it's one of those books that I think a lot of people have a lot of room left to rediscover. Mm-hmm. And it really presents the gospel in just a profound way. And there's, it's so rewarding to dig into a book like this that maybe you haven't ever read, or maybe you only read once and just sort of shrugged your shoulders and said, I don't know what that's about. But to really pause and to give it some time, uh, this is a, just a maybe to a lot of people, an undiscovered treasure. And it's, it's, it's so rewarding uh, because it's a book like no other, and I think it provides such a very specific need to the believer when it speaks about grief and how to grieve with hope. Mm-hmm. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that uh, at several points in our lives. You know, we will find ourselves in that place of suffering, loss, and grief. Coming up, grieving. 
I think grief is important. I think grief is valuable. I think there's benefit to experiencing what, what God has let us experience. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hey, everybody, Greg Laurie from A New Beginning. Did you know that more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for conversation, news, weather reports? Many of those AM stations carry the Word of God. Well, listen, there's a new bill in Congress that would ensure AM radio remains in cars because when cell and Internet services are down, this free service could be your only access to vital communication. Visit Depend on am.com. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. Grieving, mourning, suffering, and loss of the sort that the Book of Lamentations dealt with in our last segment is not the most popular sort of Christian content today. But death and grieving are a part of the Christian life, and you and I and those within our circles will face it. We may not like to think about it, but we will face it. Mike Napa is the author of Reflections for the Grieving Soul, Meditations, and Scripture for Finding a Hope After Loss. He was a guest of Bill Bunkley. So I've lost mom, dad, my brother, loved ones. And some people will think, well, you know what? Yeah, I know I got to grieve. Let me go. Let me get the funeral done, and I'm going to get back to my life. And the next thing you know, they're taking a trip or doing this, that, and the other, and they're running from just dealing with the grieving process. Talk about that dynamic. Yeah, we're in a a society and a culture that is uncomfortable with the idea of grief. I went to a a doctor about three years after Amy passed away. I went to a doctor just for an annual physical. And, you know, nowadays they ask you those questions all about your emotional health. How are you feeling about this? How's it going like that? And at one point I said, well, uh, you know, I still feel... I feel uh, sorrow because my wife passed away from cancer three years ago. And she's like, well, why Why is that? I was like, well, because I was married to my wife for 30 years and I loved her. And she said, well, what you need is electroshock therapy. Uh, you need to get mm. that out of your head. And I was mm. like, wait a minute. I don't. I don't think that's exactly true. I mean, I loved this woman for 30 years. Why would I stop loving her after only... Three, and this is kind of indicative of our culture. We're afraid of, of the idea of grief and grieving. Uh, when I wrote this book, Reflections for the Grieving Soul, people were asking me, oh, are you going to help people get over grief and, you know, seven steps to get grief out of their lives? And I'm like, no, uh, I think grief is important. I think grief is valuable. I think there's benefit to experiencing what, what God has let us experience. Um, this book is not about getting over grief at all. It's about giving you freedom to grieve, about giving someone, uh, a person to ne- walk next to them and say, this is this is what grief feels like. This is what we're going to experience. This is what we're going to, to do. Um, if we grieve well, then we're going to be better people for it. And that's the point of this book. It's not, not to help us get over it and run away from it and, and to um, shortcut the grieving process. And I found that there were some people who remembered me when I didn't think anyone would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend named Eddie, and he called me one day in that, during that first year, and he said, here's the thing. Look, I'm not going to let you just uh, sit in your house and cry the rest of your life away. So uh, it's okay that you feel sad, but we're still going to go out and go to the movies. Mm-hmm. So we started going to the movies once a month, uh, every month, just to get me out of the house. And uh, the funny thing is, Bill, it's been about seven years now, and he and I are still going to the movies <laughs> once a month. He just keeps going by and keeps getting me out, and that's the kind of person that you need. You don't necessarily need someone who will give you the lectures about how uh, things are going to get better or who's going to tell you to stop grieving or who's going to do anything like that. What you need is someone who's going to be willing to sit with you and, and be nearby 
uh, and just uh, be a constant presence. That concludes our program today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to mention it to a friend. Find this episode at ChristianOutlook.com. While you're there, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan and Wilbert Flores, I'm Scott Furrow. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up. When I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like. Rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.